Hey there, it's JVL. On The Secret Show today, Bill Crystal sat in for Sarah Longwell, and we talked about Europe and Ukraine and Mike Pence and Donald Trump and Casablanca and lots of other stuff. Here's the show. Yeah, I was asked a lot at the conference, I mean, what about others who are challenging Trump for the Republican nomination? And I said sort of a version of what you said, which is the good news is you now have people for the first time, really, I think it's fair to say, who are fairly prominent. I'm the former vice president, and as you say, with Pence, Christie, some of the others, Asa Hutchinson getting less attention, uh, and then people like Pompeo and stuff being pretty firm on either January 6th and or Ukraine. I think those are the two big issues, and they really are the two big issues. So, I mean, the other stuff, okay, they're not going to say what we would like them to say in terms of Trump's cruelty and insane you know various yeah, forms they're, of insanity they're not going to be what corrupt- we think about on the the indictments and all that and the corruption right they're going to be yeah. very irresponsible maybe the indictments would be the third thing i guess so that's january 6th i'm still going to call that january 6th with the documents some of them are being a little better on that but they can't resist the, the weaponized justice department but um so i think the and i said this to your friends the good news is there are people beginning to say things that are on some of the most important aspects of Trump and Trumpism reflect a break. The bad news is that Trump's at 50%, roughly in the polls, the Republican primary. Uh, DeSantis is another 20%, and he hasn't been courageous on either of these two things. As you say, Vivek is at uh, 5% or something. So basically, it's three to one, on, you know, fine with Trump, yeah. apparently, on, on Ukraine and January 6th, and, and the documents for that matter. And, um, now, could that change a little bit when people start to say this? I don't know. Are, we've always said if if some leaders start saying the right thing, maybe a few wars start saying it, and maybe it changes the electorate's view a little bit. That hasn't really happened yet. And partly, I had a long conversation with someone who was really asking about this. I used to love the Wall Street Journal editorial page, read it over in, in Europe. Uh, one way he said it improved his English, you know, to read it every day. He said, what's happened there? And I said, they are a huge part of the problem. And again, this is a theme that I think I've told on, you have too, to some yeah. degree, but the degree to which they'll denounce Trump for something. And then the next day they'll have a, you know, a piece attacking the critics of Trump and in effect excusing Trump, or sometimes literally excusing Trump and sometimes de facto undercutting the seriousness of the prior, prior criticism. Trump should have given those documents back. He's really hurting Republicans. What's he doing? But actually, this Justice Department thing is kind of uh, weaponizing it. And what about Biden and so forth? The degree to which the high-class conservative enablers, excusers, apologists for Trump have done damage to any attempt to liberate the Republican Party or the conservative movement for Trump just can't be overestimated. I mean, Fox News, all that stuff's bad. The populist stuff is terrible, in my, in my opinion. But it could have been contained, I still think, and could be contained maybe still if the conservative elites of Conservatism, Inc., I believe that's your, you, you invented that phrase, maybe, if Conservatism, Inc. were to break from Trump. And that still has not happened, has it? I mean, do you think? Uh, I don't, but this is, you know, I... I, this is a fundamental disagreement I have with myself, uh, which is the on the one hand, I I have to think that it matters something. It matters somewhat having these people doing what they're doing. On the other hand, the the popular will of Republicans seems very clear. And the Republican voters seem to have a very clear sense of what they want. And what they what about half of them want is Trump and then another 30 percent of them they don't really want Trump, but they're fine with it. 
And, and what they don't the ones want, who don't want him, they, they all like him. And that's the thing. They're, they're all, you know, 90% of them like him as a default. Like in a, you know, just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on the question of Donald Trump. They all give thumbs up. 50% want more of him. Another 30% don't really prefer more of him, but are happy to take it if that's what the party decides. And then you have another 20%, which is just like, well, we'd really like to do something different. And maybe 10% of them won't support him. Yeah, maybe that 10% can go to 15. I agree. And the one thing, though, is that middle 30 or 35%, which I think is the right way of thinking about it, don't seem willing to tolerate is Liz Cheney-type actual attacks on Trump. We're yeah. supposed to just get beyond Trump. Now, they, I think Christie and maybe Pence, he so does it in such a certain way that I just never quite, you know, it's always like feel like feel like he's punching with a huge amount of padding in his gloves or something, unlike Christie. But maybe Christie and Pence start to move some of that 35% to a kind of not just, gee, I'd kind of prefer if we could get beyond Trump without ever confronting Trump or Trumpism too. We really can't do this. I mean, I don't know, where's Chris? Christie now is pretty close to, or pretty, is he fully in on, I can't support Trump even in a general election in 2024. I believe that's what he has said. He's um, not yet for Biden, of course, God forbid they right. should. But, and I guess um, now Pence is not there, but I don't know that he's not not there either, if you know what I mean. And some yeah. of the others, that's an interesting question. I mean, three months ago, Bill Barr still felt compelled or still felt it appropriately, put it, or still said that, Trump very bad on documents, bad on January 6th. But of course, I have to support him as the Republican nominee. I wonder if Phil Barr would say that, you know, today. I mean, I, I feel like well, there's been some movement in the very late to the game, sort of never again Trump types. Yeah, some movement, but, some movement. But I, I, I'm agreeing also with your skepticism about how fundamental I don't believe any of that, though, because it's one thing to say that now in June of 2023 is another thing to say that in August of 2024, after the conventions, right? If Trump is the nominee, I think anybody who has said at this point, you know, where we are today, that I, I cannot and will not support him, uh, I think there will be a reconsideration. And there will be like, because did you hear what Kamala Harris said at the Democratic yeah, National Convention? There was Convention? a woke speaker I there, just too. can't. <laughs> right. There was, you know, there was somebody at one of the breakout sessions at the DNC who said that uh, they wanted to fly a trans flag. And I can't be, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I, I don't believe it. Um, and also, the, I mean, look, just as an analytical matter, when a semi-incumbent in a primary is over 50%, they win the primary. Right. Not a hundred percent of the time, but quite often. And I was, I was looking at this the other day. Trump has been over 50% since April. That's a good long stretch, right? It's now yeah. almost July. Um, that's, that's like a quarter of a year. DeSantis, the lowest he has ever polled since we started polling primaries on this is 18.5%. That was back in fully a year ago, July, 2022. He's at 21.5 now. Yeah. So DeSantis is actually near his floor, like near his all time low. I just, I look at this and I just think to myself, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this on the next level. Kevin McCarthy said this week, uh, as he was trying to clean up his, his Trump mistake, he said, uh, you know, Trump is stronger than now than he was in 2016. And I think that is undeniably true. And in fact, I think he's a lot stronger than he was in 2016, both right. within the primary and then prospectively going into a general election. Yeah, that's a depressing thought. No, I mean, if you pull back the camera, if you look at one of those 
you know, charts that uh, either 538 or basically the White House have that, you know, just put the one year uh, screen on it, so to speak. It's actually fairly stable. I mean, Trump's sort of around 50, dips down to low 40s, maybe even 40-ish, uh, when DeSantis is having his surge after November 2022, and the Trump, the most Trumpy candidates have done poorly, uh, but but stabilizes and is now back above 50. So, you know, 50 dipped to 40, back to 50. That's pretty stable as these things go over 9, 12 months. Uh, and DeSantis also, you know, starts around 18 to 20, as you say, rallies up to about 30, which seems to be to 30, a yeah. ceiling, and now is back down in the low 20s. So if you if you gave any political scientist or historian, okay, here's the chart, and then everyone else is in single digits. It's like there is not much, I don't know, is there any case, I don't really think there's any case where someone at the above 50 was lost. Now, it's so unusual with Trump being a former president, and obviously it's a two-time nominee. We also haven't had that case in 130 years or something. So, um, you know, it may be... It, and ongoing criminal trials. Yes, maybe, right? you know, sense. there is a straw that finally breaks the camel's back, but the camel's been pretty sturdy so far, and the straws that keep getting, do get piled on, and we have now the documents indictment. I guess, we're, I think we'll get a January 6th indictment. That presumably is the one that more than any other could do it, though maybe not. I mean, there's just very no. little evidence. The, the hearings were pretty powerful last year, and they, they again, they moved it down a little bit. But um, And also, I think you, you've made this point so many times very, very well in the newsletter. If polls were showing, the one thing I think that would, if you added to the things we've discussed that might change things is if Trump were literally losing to Biden by eight points in every swing state and nationally by six, let's say. And if someone else, DeSantis or the let's say Tim Scott or another person who could conceivably be the alternative to Trump were ahead by a point. Now that's not inconceivable. I mean, you could imagine such a situation existing in a world in which many more Republicans were just willing to say never again, Trump, but that's not the case empirically. Empirically it's, I think Trump's actually a tiny bit ahead. If you look at some of the matchups of DeSantis or the others and and the generic Republican (laughs) vote is okay from a Republican point of view. It's not great, but uh, so if you can't make the case that Trump is a weaker candidate in the general election, that and he's at fifty percent, what's gonna what's gonna break away? This is one of the fundamental problems going on here. Is that I think it is possible that Trump is empirically the stronger candidate against Biden. Uh, I'm not convinced of that, but I think it's certainly possible. And like, if that is the case, you know, look, we all wish it weren't the case. It shouldn't be the case, but it's possible that it is. And if it is, then like, I don't know where else is there left to go. No, totally. In the way in which he loses. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these Europeans, you know, don't they understand? Didn't Trump hurt you? They follow American politics quite closely. They, some of them read the bulwark, listen to these podcasts. And they, well, didn't Trump hurt the party in 2018, 2020, and 2022? Don't people understand if they're on the Republican or conservative-ish side that he's, he's a bad nominee? Yes, yes, in a way that's, that's true. I think probably he hurt a little bit. But on the other hand, let's just step back a bit. Trump won the presidency. In 2016, yes. drew an inside straight, et cetera, et cetera. Hillary Clinton was the weakest opponent, I suppose. The Democrats have put out the weakest candidate they've put up, I think, over these 20 years. But he's the only one who's won since 2004. It's a little weird. It's just counterintuitive. Yeah. I mean, all the experts can say whatever they want to a semi-normal voter and a kind of partisan Republican who cares about Republicans governing. It's a little weird to try to tell them that the one guy who won in 2016, and incidentally came pretty close in yeah. 2020, 
And the Republicans now control the House when he's allegedly the dominant figure in the party. He's the guy we, we can't nominate under any circumstances. It's like, really? I mean, maybe it's a 50-50 proposition, whether he's stronger than an untested National League of Florida governor or a former, you know, or South Carolina senator, no one really knows and stuff. But it can't be obvious that Trump is the weaker candidate. It really isn't obvious, unfortunately. And the weirdness of saying this guy who Trump is beating by 35 points the guy who can't even get within 35 of Trump, yeah. don't worry, he'll be better than that. Like, that just, yeah. it doesn't make sense. And the, the final point, and I've said this a dozen times before, uh, Trump, down-ballot Republicans did very, very well with Trump on the ballot, both in 2016 and 2020. They suffered in 2018 and 2022 when he wasn't on the ballot. Right. And I th- maybe this is coincidence, but I think it's also entirely possible that you get the effect of Trump bringing in a whole bunch of untraditional voters and then there being normal Republicans who are willing to – you know, a handful of normal Republicans willing to split their ticket and vote for the Democrat at the top and, and stay with the Republicans down ballot. And if you swap out a Ron DeSantis type, it's not clear to me that he brings in those non-traditional voters. I don't, I don't know that those people show up for him. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, I want to ask you about your Doug Sosnick conversation, which was sensational. I was so glad that you had him. I have been a fan of his for years and years and years. He, uh, He's just very, very smart. The one thing that you guys didn't get to that I, I kept waiting for you, talking about the chaotic era that we're in and all of the chaos around us and how this really dates back to like 1992 with Buchanan and Perot. Uh, and that that's where all of this sort of grows out of as we get to here. And Sosnick, for anybody who hasn't listened to it, you should, says he thinks we've got it at least another decade of this ahead of us uh, before all these dislocations work at, get worked out. It makes sense to me that if we're in a chaotic era, we should actually expect a third party in this race, right? I mean, if, if, if the answer is like in a chaotic era, all of the things which shouldn't happen wind up happening, then I, I do feel like people have discounted the possibility that thirdly, you know, having recognized the third, third, uh, the no labels threat, people have decided, well, see, we uh, we eyed it early, and that means it can't happen. And I'm like, I don't know why. Why doesn't Kristen Cinema take that right? I mean, the the hard part of the no labels thing, the rate limiting step in the reaction is, how do you find a plausible politician? who has something to gain from being on the ticket, right? And anybody who is a plausible figure has a lot to lose and very little to gain. Anybody who has a lot to gain is implausible. You might have said, Christian Simina is the perfect figure in this case, right? She is a sitting United States senator. She She's a former Democrat, and she is done as a senator. She has no future in the state of Arizona. And so this is a way for her to turn herself into a national brand to create whatever next thing she wants to create for herself. They have a lot of money. Like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't that feel like the perfect answer to a chaotic era if, is that we go into 2024 and we get a third party candidate who siphons off just enough votes that Trump wins the Electoral College again? I think I think it's possible. And I think the fact that everyone, and I've been one of them who's eyed the no labels 
threat and tried to warn against it in terms of Democratic donors, you know, going along with it or financing it and others kind of being okay or, or, or unalarmed uh, about it. And members of Democratic members of Congress who were part of that problem solvers group, which is associated basically with no labels. Uh, I can, I've done my best, I suppose, to sound the alarm as many others have. No, but I remain very, the whole point is the reason we have to sound the alarm and the reason it's still not having the effect it should have is that there's so much intrinsic uh wish wish for a third party not all of it of course foolish right i mean right. and i did very much dislike the equivalence of you know the attempt to say we've got two unacceptable candidates biden and trump that's what you really ultimately have to believe i think to support a third party or independent candidacy this time which i do think is a weak that we just have to hammer it at that and say it's not true and you could elect more, more likely will elect trump but people aren't crazy to look up and say really this is the choice i mean one guy who tried to overturn the last election another guy who's going to be 82 on election day even if he's been a pretty good president shouldn't he just be doing a handover here to the next generation and I, i've been a little startled and just to confirm your point even more since i was you know, in the, mentioned as someone who's involved in the no label stuff pretty much behind the scenes, except for just a few tweets and all, but at a meeting in the, with Matt Bennett of Third Way and in the Washington Post, this was written up a bit. Um, I've gotten a lot of calls and emails from people who I respect. I mean, uh, who haven't been maybe quite as involved in politics the last few years, but, you know, serious business guys and former members of Congress saying, I don't know, Bill, I don't know, why are you involved in that stop no labels thing? I think this is the time to do it, Biden and Trump. We could do better. This is crazy to be limited to that choice. And I say, well, I can understand why you think that. But on the other hand, it, the effect of it most, most, most likely is to help Trump. And that's unacceptable. Yeah, Trump is unacceptable. But we can pull the plug on that. We can cross that bridge later. That's how they then get to a sort of let's be okay with no labels for <laughs> it's now. It's only four years. He's term No, no, I didn't mean that. I meant pull the plug like in April of 2024, you know, but for now, let them, why don't we help them raise the money? Maybe they'll find a terrific candidate. Maybe Biden, maybe Trump will be winning and this will be the way to beat Trump. I mean, people can talk themselves into a lot of things. Look, is there a one in 50 chance that one of those things is true? Of course there is. So no, I'm, I, I have these internal arguments with my anti no labels friends and associates where they underestimate the appeal of it. So I'm totally, I think your point is extremely important. There's a big intrinsic appeal in a chaotic moment like this. Can't we do better when both parties are problematic in all kinds of obvious ways? The one much more than, infinitely more so in my opinion than the other, uh, or not infinitely, but decisively more so in my opinion than the other. And I, I think they underestimate the appeal of it. And I totally, I think right now it looks like it's a, depending on who you poll, it's a 18%, 12, 15% in some places. And I was at a conference call the other day and so to see, we polled Trump, Biden, and we just didn't poll a name, but polled a centrist independent candidate or something. And that's that guy, like Trump won because the centrist independent takes more from Biden. But it was like, I don't remember, 36, 32, 18. Don't, don't hold me to those numbers, but something like that. And the consensus, see, they, they can have foolish for people to invest in the no labels thing. They're at 18. They can't win anything. They wouldn't win a single state. Just a spoiler thing. And I said they didn't like hearing this. 18 is not a bad starting point. No. In a system totally that has been totally two-party you know, forever, basically, if you could start with Perot's number, which is 19, and then maybe you have a more attractive candidate, maybe Biden falls over a sandbag, maybe people do be, are reminded that Trump is horrendous, 
could that not be 25? And then it starts looking like, geez, it really is a three-way. And then all the arguments yeah. that someone like me would make against electability start to fade away because maybe that person could win or go into the house and people get intrigued. And I still think it's bad, probably, quite very, very probably in 2024 to, to run this risk. Um, but I think also for 28, incidentally, the odds go wildly up. Let's just assume Biden gets reelected and makes it through this election uh, against Trump. Uh, the odds of a third party uh, effort, both at some, to some degree at the state levels, maybe at local levels, but certainly in the national level, go way up. So that part of the chaos should be a sort of fracturing to some degree of the party system, and it could well be. Yeah, I uh, and you could see them talking about look, look what Macron did in France, right? You could just come in and go over the top, and uh, I I look at that and I just think to myself, that is fine. You can play that game when it is Josh Shapiro running against Brian Kemp, right? Right. So right. When you, when it is a when you live in a world where and this is this is the trap of the third party. When you live in a world where both major party uh, nominees are basically okay then it is safe to have a third party. <laughs> right. When you live in a world where one of the major party nominees is really dangerous, and then, you know, so that become that increases the appeal of the third party, that's when it's dangerous to run a third party candidate. No, the irony is Perot yeah. did the best, obviously, of anyone in modern times, uh, since Teddy Roosevelt, and so in a century. Um, it was it was Bush versus Clinton. So in a certain way, it was the most, you know. Exactly, uh, yeah. And Too there you could afford it. And there it's not, I mean, Pro was a stupid thing, person to vote for, in my opinion. But it wasn't even crazy in the sense that, okay, maybe this third party thing will uh, have the, you know, beat the odds. And it's not irresponsible because what's the worst that could happen? You know, right. I might have slightly preferred Bush over Clinton or Clinton over Bush and the opposite might might take right. place. But I, yeah, I very much agree that, that we have a... Um, yeah, that is obviously not the situation. In should we? Should somebody run a poll in Arizona, a general election poll in Arizona, uh, putting Biden, Trump, and Cinema on the ballot? Because I, I feel like doing that and showing that all of a sudden Arizona is plus ten for Trump. Yeah, that's what it would be too. Might be useful. Yeah, let me. Might be a useful data point to to give people. Hey again, it's JVL. The conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you.